Hi everyone, this is Noto Suneto from the Foreign Policy Talks. Before I introduce our, our guests for this 10th episode, uh, I would like to thank everyone for listening uh, to my podcast. It has reportedly have more than 20 countries uh, listening in uh, my podcast and has reached out more than 800 people so far. And uh, it motivated me to do more and more episodes um, covering more issues on foreign policy. Uh, this episode, I'd like to uh, welcome Professor Chi Chun Chu, uh, which is a professor of international relations and political science at the Bucknell University in the USA. He recently wrote an interesting article titled Interpreting China's Wolf Warrior Diplomacy. So I'm going to explore more with him on what is exactly wolf warrior diplomacy, why China is resorting to that type of diplomacy, what are the implications of doing this diplomacy for China in the future, and also trying to relate it a little bit with the US foreign policy and the Trump administration during this pandemic. Uh, he, he's, he's surely uh, a right a professor to talk with on this topic and I'm very honored and glad to having him on this episode. So without further ado, let's talk to him. Hello Professor Chichun Chu, how are you doing? Very good. How are you, Noto? I'm good. I'm good in Jakarta. So where are you now, Professor? Uh, I'm in uh, central Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. near New York. Uh, I think uh, your time is uh, nine, uh, 10 p.m., right? My time here is uh, 11 a.m. Oh, wow. Yes. So thank you so much uh, for your time. I know you're very busy, but uh, I'm very honored and very glad to having you here to talk about uh, the topic that you have written before in, at the Diplomat. Well, thank you. Uh, once again, it's my pleasure to uh, join you for this special program. And I'll be happy to answer any questions you may have about uh, that article or about China's foreign policy in general. Mm, great. So, uh, Professor, I'm, I'm very uh, curious on uh, the term that you were using at your article, which is Wolf Warrior Diplomacy. Uh, I read your analysis published by the diplomat on May 15, 2020, uh, titled Interpreting China's Wolf Warrior Diplomacy. For our listeners who might haven't read your article yet, can you explain what is that and why China is resorting to that type of diplomacy at the moment? Okay, so uh, first of all, Wolf Warrior is a movie uh, produced in China 2015. I think they made the uh, second one, Wolf Warrior 2, in 2017. Now, these two movies are blockbuster action movies about drug busts and rescue missions conducted by the People's Liberation Army Special Operation Forces. So the movies highlight heroism of Chinese soldiers. And, And these movies really helped boost national pride and the patriotism among Chinese viewers. So this term, Wolf Warrior Diplomacy, is used, is named actually after the popular movies 
and it's used to describe how Chinese diplomats are launching an offensive to defend China's national interests. Now, why is China resorting to uh, this type of diplomacy? Um, I can think of two major reasons. Number one, I think it's, um, it, it's, it's a reflection of growing Chinese nationalism at home. It did not happen over, overnight. Um, as you know, the most uh, recent wave of Chinese nationalism started around 2008 and 2010. In 2008, of course, China successfully hosted the Olympics. In 2010, China, China's GDP surpassed Japan's to become the world's second largest. So those events uh, really raised uh, and, and uh, the already strong nationalism in China. And as a result, the Chinese diplomacy is gradually departing from uh, uh, the so-called Yanghui policy advocated by Deng Xiaoping, which basically means uh, keeping a low profile. So since then, China's policy has become more assertive, even aggressive in some cases. So that's number one reason. Number two, I think, you know, as China continues to rise, some of China's neighbors and some Western countries apparently are not prepared or unwilling to accept China's rise. And you can tell the Western media portrayal of China is dominantly negative. So uh, this, this uh, so-called Wolf Warrior diplomacy is really designed to counter Western narrative about China and about China's rise, uh, and also as a way to kind of tell the Chinese side of the story. So those are the two major reasons, I think, why China is, is uh, taking this uh, uh, new approach in diplomacy. Mm. Continue, continue the thing that you mentioned earlier that uh, you also stated in your article that wolf warrior diplomacy is part of the Chinese government's interference to tell the China story. So what story does China want to tell the world? Okay, I think, I think China wants to tell a story about its uh, peaceful rise and its uh, willingness to cooperate with others. So the message I think the Chinese government wants to convey is very clear. It's the message of peace and cooperation. Mm -hmm. Chinese officials have emphasized that China's rise will be peaceful and, and beneficial to everybody. China also likes to say that through cooperation, China and other countries can achieve a win-win outcome. So I think uh, the Chinese side of the story or the message from the Chinese government is that a peaceful rise and beneficial cooperation, uh, those are what China uh, pursues. And, uh, and those are the messages I think the Chinese government uh, tries to convey. And that's the so-called China story that the government wants to tell. Mm. But uh, you know, Professor, what we see from the Chinese diplomacy and China's foreign policy at the moment, it's totally different if we look back on the last few years, you know, when China has played a defensive positions to protect the image of China around the world and just being a friendly and humble diplomacy in dealing with other countries. So uh, what will be the negative implication for China by doing this warfare diplomacy? Well, I think uh, one negative uh, impact is that uh, uh, it's going to hurt China's uh, international image and China's soft power. 
uh, if you look at the recent public opinion polls around the world, the views of China have turned more negative in many countries. Mm -hmm. about the criticism of the so-called war of order diplomacy or Chinese foreign policy in general by government officials and scholars every day you know, in, in the media. Um, one of the uh, objectives of Chinese foreign policy is to enhance its soft power. Uh, I think we all know that uh, China's soft power has suffered tremendously due to its uh, mishandling of the COVID-19 at the initial stage. Mm. So, uh, so right now, this uh, wolf warrior diplomacy, this confrontational approach actually is counterproductive. I don't think it serves China's interest and it will only further damage China's soft power. Mm, okay, so why do you think China think that this is an effective way to counter what called by the Chinese official as an unfair attack to China? You mentioned that, you know, this is further damage the Chinese image, right, around the world. But why do you think China uh, justified that this is an effective way for them? Well, is it effective? I don't think, it, well, short answer is no. I don't think it's an effective way to, uh, to counter the so-called unfair attacks uh, by the West. Oh. Um, yeah, I think, well, basically, I believe that the actions speak louder than words. So it's, it's not what China says, it's really what China does that is more important. For example, I think uh, China can counter the so-called uh, unfair Western attacks by becoming more transparent about its policies, both domestic policy and foreign policies. Uh, it can try to treat its neighbors nicely, for example, in the South China Sea. Um, it can also uh, promote international cooperation in international affairs, just like what the President Xi Jinping did most recently during the uh, World Health Assembly, where uh, he made a speech and uh, he uh, promised to uh, help other developing countries, particularly countries in Africa, to fight against infectious diseases. I think that kind of action, you know, is very encouraging and very helpful uh, as an effective way for China to counter uh, those Western unfair attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, professor, uh, many experts argue that this is becoming a new norm of China's diplomacy. But in my observation that the new diplomacy played by China is very selective. As you said, that for developing countries in Africa, uh, China tends to to help them instead of, uh, you know, uh, using this wolf area diplomacy. Uh, we see that it's only applied for several countries like the U.S., Australia, some European countries like maybe Sweden. For some countries like Indonesia, for example, uh, my country, when there's a significant sentiment among its people towards China, I don't see the wolf area diplomacy as played by the Chinese diplomats so far. Uh, so. What has justified China's consideration in choosing countries they can against? Is it, is, it, is it because of the country or is it because of the action or why do you think? What do you think? Um, right, okay. So I think, well, the, uh, the, the simple answer is that uh, I don't think China wants to create enemies everywhere. Uh, so it has to be selective. Uh, as far as Indonesia is concerned, you know, I think you know, China considers Indonesia as a uh, fellow developing country as a friendly neighbor across the sea. Mm -hmm. I'm not aware of uh, anything 
the Indonesian government or Indonesian people recently did or said uh, against China. So uh, there's no reason for China to target Indonesia in this new round of uh, uh, war for diplomacy. Now, having said that, uh, I think the Wolf Warrior diplomacy is mostly aimed at the United States and its allies. You mentioned Australia, Sweden, you know, I think Australia is a, a case uh, in point, you know. As you know, Australian Prime Minister recently called for an independent investigation of the origin of the COVID-19. Um, I mean, that irritated the Chinese government. Uh, I think the Chinese government worries that if it is not harsh, enough towards Australia, maybe other countries will follow suit, which will open the floodgates for more calls for investigation or even demands for reparations from China. So that's why you know, China has been tough towards Australia, particularly towards the United States. As you know, the United States and China relations are very tense now, and uh, China feels compelled to uh, you know, to uh, retaliate as, uh, as President Trump shifts all responsibility and all the blames to China for what is happening in the United States now. Mm -hmm. uh, during this pandemic, Professor, we have seen some countries who openly oppose China. Uh, so in your view, what will be the impacts for some countries who are opposing China? What's the price that they can uh, pay, they will pay? And what would be the advantages for countries who are remaining neutral or even in favor with China? Well, you know, in international relations, uh, from, from a, a realist perspective, all countries will defend their national interests. So I think uh, China, just like other great powers, will use uh, political, uh, diplomatic, and economic tools to defend its national interests. So for countries that openly oppose China, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, their relations with China will suffer, especially in terms of trade and economic relations. Um, others who are neutral or even defend China, I, I can expect that uh, China will expand uh, its relations with those countries, perhaps by prom promising a more trade and investment. Uh, but again, uh, this is normal from, again, from a, a realist perspective. Countries will do whatever they like to defend their own national interests. Uh, Professor Chu, do we expect any permanent changes in China's foreign policy? Uh, or this is just because of triggered by the case of finding the origin of COVID-19 and the accusations towards China by the Western power? Are you talking about the Western powers in general or uh, United States in particular? No, I'm talking about the China's foreign policy. Do you think this is going to be a new norm of China's foreign policy, or this is just temporary, you know, because of the COVID pandemic? Right. I, I don't think this is uh, going to be a permanent a new norm in China's foreign policy. I think, yes, as you alluded to, you know, it has a lot to do with the current uh, COVID-19 crisis. Uh, already, you know, scholars and uh, some traditionally minded diplomats in China are raising concerns about the, this so-called Wolf War diplomacy, and they are criticizing this confrontation approach. Um, I think you know the Chinese leadership will will soon realize that uh, 
this confrontational approach uh, will not help China. And it is in China's interest to have an in environment, international environment uh, that is uh, conducive to China's own domestic development. So I hope that uh, uh, cooler heads will prevail in Chinese foreign policy. And I absolutely think that uh, this is uh, not going to be a permanent a new norm. I think it is, again, this is going to be a temporary phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to relate, um, you know, the Chinese warfare diplomacy with the, with the U.S. Uh, behavior or U.S. foreign policy now. Uh, you know that the U.S. foreign policy has changed from the previous presidency under Trump administration. Uh, people even said that this is not the U.S. foreign policy, but Trump's foreign policy. So if in case Trump is not re-elected as the U.S. president and Joe Biden is elected, what do we expect in terms of changes in the U.S. foreign policy? And in your analysis, Professor Chu, uh, how can you describe the difficulties for the U.S. to change the Trump legacy on foreign policy, especially in dealing with China? Well, that, that's a very good question, also a very complicated question. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, the, the U.S. government, the White House, published a new report titled U.S. Strategic Approach to the People's Republic of China. Uh, that report outlined how China is challenging American economy, American values, American security. Um, I think, you know, um, it's, a, it's a consensus in, in, in the United States, in Washington now, that uh, uh, people are disappointed at China. The US government and many Americans really feel that uh, China has not become more like America after 40 years of engagement, uh, diplomatic, uh, educational, political, economic, all kinds of interactions between China and the United States have failed to uh, transform China. Now, that's in the views of, of US government and some Americans. Um, so that report also says that uh, uh, the United States will continue to engage China where possible, but it will challenge China to uphold its commitments, commitment, commitments to you know, more openness, uh, more political uh, reforms, and economic openness as well. Uh, so uh, I think uh, it doesn't really matter, matter who will be in the White House, Trump or Biden or somebody else. I think in the, in the short term, the relationship will be very tense, and very difficult. Um, if Biden wins in November, I can imagine you know, there might be some adjustments you know, in the policy. Uh, uh, the strategies, the tactics may change a little bit, but I don't think you know the overall structure of U.S.-China competitive relationship will change. So, uh, in the short term, uh, it's uh, not promising that uh, U.S.-China relations will improve. Uh, long term, hopefully, uh, both sides will uh, develop mutually acceptable policies and uh, deepen their cooperation and uh, wisely manage the power transition in the international system so that relationship will become healthy and more friendly and more productive than what it is now.
Uh, Professor, do you think that the the more assertive diplomacy played by China is supported by the Chinese people domestically, or is just you know the the way that the Chinese Communist Party and uh, you know uh, trying to counter the unfair attack that you mentioned also earlier? So, do you think it's the domestically supported by the people? Uh, well, I think so. You know, by and large, yes. Uh, I think this uh, uh, assertive diplomacy is viewed very differently from uh, within China and without China. Outside China, I think you know, almost everybody uh, is uh, criticizing uh, this confrontation approach. Uh, people don't like it. Uh, people think that uh, China is becoming more aggressive. You know? But inside China, uh, as I mentioned earlier, nationalism is very strong. And many people actually side with the government. They think that the China is justified to uh, take a more assertive approach to uh, defend China's national interest. And they, they do believe that uh, uh, Western narrative about China is, you know, is just wrong, is, is too negative. And, uh, uh, and, and it's, it's in, in terms of uh, COVID-19, it's very interesting. I think initially, uh, the public actually criticized the Chinese government uh, for the cover-up of the virus in Wuhan. But now, I think the public opinion has turned against the United States. And, and, and they are becoming more supportive of the government. Mm. They think that President Trump and the US government have failed to control the virus in the United States. And now they are blaming China. They are shifting all the responsibility to China. So the Chinese public actually have become more defensive of the Chinese government. And uh, so this Wolf Warrior diplomacy enjoys, uh, definitely enjoys some popularity inside China. Do you think that this more assertive diplomacy by China helped Trump to, to be re-elected? <laughs> um, well, the, uh, in terms of US elections, you know, uh, foreign policy typically does not play a big role here, you know. It's basically economy, as they say, you know, it's the economy stupid, you know, right? <laughs> so uh, with the current economic conditions in the United States, I think, you know, President Trump is fighting an uphill battle for his re-election. Uh, so China is not going to be a major factor here. But of course, we can expect that, that during the campaign, uh, Trump and his opponent, uh, let's say Biden, although Biden has not been officially uh, nominated, I think both candidates will engage in an anti-China campaign uh, and they will compete with each other about who is tougher towards China. I think that's, that can be expected because as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's, it's almost a bipartisan consensus. Uh, an anti-China sentiment enjoys bipartisan support in the United States now. So that can be expected. You know. They will talk about China and the, the, everything is China's problem. Every problem is China's, right? But at the end of the day, whether this will help Trump to be reelected or whether it will help Biden to be elected, I don't know. I don't think, you know, uh, foreign policy in this case, in this case, China uh, will play a critical role in, in, the collection, in the election, you know. I think it's the economy that essentially will determine who will win. Uh, in the November election. Well, all right. 
Thank you so much, Professor Chu. That's my last question. Uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very interested with this, uh, with this topic, uh, but uh, I cannot bother you any longer. I <laughs> know you're very busy. <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, it's my pleasure. As I said, you know, uh, well, feel free to uh, get back to me. You know, if you would like to uh, talk about this uh, in more details in the future, you know, I, I'll be glad to join you once again. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm sure that, I mean, we are looking forward to your analysis in the future. And I'm sure that our listeners at the Foreign Policy Talks are very, uh, you know, very, very glad to listening to you on the warfare of diplomacy. Thank you and goodbye, Professor Chu. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Have a nice day. Thank you. Have a nice day.